are in the middle of a series, week four of a series called Questioning God. And, and really what we're doing in this series is we're seeking to have a conversation with our city. I think I've said this pretty much every week, but we're trying to answer the questions that people that are not yet a part of the church are actually asking. So maybe you're here and one of the reasons you're here is because somebody invited you. Uh, you're, you're new at, um, you know, just kind of exploring this idea of spirituality, uh, exploring the idea of religion, or maybe you're here because you're just curious what we have to say and you've already decided that this isn't for you, um, then we're super pumped that you're here because really one of the things that we want to do as a church is be answering the questions that our city is asking. We want to take the posture of a missionary uh, and we want to say that this church does not exist solely for us to come and, you know, enjoy our scones and our coffee and our muffins and, you know, all the things that we enjoy about uh, being a part of West Village, but we actually exist to, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in our city. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that is by, by having good conversations with our city, with people that don't yet know Jesus, so that we can engage them where they're at. And so that's what this series has been like. And it's a very different feel. Normally what we do is we just teach through books of the Bible, kind of verse by verse. We'll start with the Bible and we'll gather our thoughts from there and then proclaim them and apply them to our lives. This series has been a little bit different. Uh, I think I've said this every week. It's, it's like a lecture. It's more like a lecture than it is like a sermon. Today is going to be uh, no different. And, and like I I say every week, some of you are going to hate it and some of you are going to love it. Interestingly enough, I have no idea what this says about the way that God has wired us all. Uh, generally speaking, I know there's some exceptions, so you don't need to come and tell me if you're the exception, but generally speaking, the ladies are like, this is kind of boring, <laughs> but I'm catching up on sleep. So thank you. And the dudes are like, this is great. Love it. Could we do this uh, every week? And so I don't know what that says about the way we're wired, but some of you are going to really dig this and some of you are not going to dig it. So uh, just bear with me. Um, this week, I have a lot to say, as I've already said, and not a lot of time to say it. I've got my time cut down, not quite in half, but almost in half. And, and I'm going to try and seek to answer the question this morning, why can't I live how I want if I don't harm anyone? Why can't I live however I want if I'm not going to harm anyone? And so this is a, a big question. And so really, I'm going to this morning uh, just kind of scratch the surface on a couple of really big ideas. I'm going to leave a lot on the table. You're going to have a lot of questions at the end of this. This could probably be a couple of weeks in and of itself. But, but what I want to do just to start is kind of introduce the question. Like last week, we talked about this idea that um, the beliefs of religion, of any kind of to totalitarian thought or any kind of overarching narrative or story functions like a straitjacket for the mind. That if we were to go out and talk to our city, talk to them about uh, what they think about the church, what they think about religion, what they think about spirituality, but specifically institutional religion, what they would say is that it functions like a straitjacket for the mind in the sense that it, it kind of tells you what you have to believe. It's sort of this check your brain at the door uh, idea whereby you, you don't actually get to kind of come up with your own ideas. The church tells you what you're supposed to believe. It tells you how you're supposed to live. It tells you the way in which uh, your life is supposed to be ordered. And, and really, it kind of limits you. And like we said last week, the highest uh, ideal or value in our society, in this current cultural moment at least, is tolerance, where we have to learn to tolerate one another. Well, well this morning, the kind of baseline premise is not that dissimilar. It's a very, it's a very similar idea. Because uh, really, when you start to talk to people that don't know Jesus, don't go to church, and again, they could be spiritual people. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be uh, atheists, but when they, when they think about institutional religion, they think of it in terms of a straitjacket for, for the human being, for the way that the human being is supposed to live. That really what 
What religion does is it limits your personal freedoms. It dictates to you how you are supposed to live. And so while last week for a culture, the highest ideal is tolerance, um, what, what I'm trying to uh, help us understand this morning is that personal autonomy has now become the individual highest value. So we, we live in a, in a current cultural climate that says your personal autonomy, your personal freedom is the most important thing. Uh, and so anything, like whether it's a religion, whether it's an idea that infringes on my personal freedom is seen as an enemy to self. Uh, you know, you've probably heard like kind of this hashtag or this mantra of the day, right? Like you do you. And then that drives much of how we operate in our lives. We make most of our decisions based on how we feel. We make most of our decisions based on what makes us happy. We make most, if not all, of our decisions based on the self, based on how it's going to impact me. And so what we want to do this morning is ask this question, like, how do we reconcile some of these ideas? How do we reconcile this, the idea of, like a, of a religion or a system of belief, whether it's an institutional religion, whether it's a secular story that defines your life, whatever it is, whether it's a, a, a social or economic story that defines your life, how do we reconcile that with the idea that personal autonomy and freedom are the highest individual ideal? Because what we're going to see this morning is that uh, as we talk about everyone being free to do uh, whatever it is that they want what is inevitable is that these freedoms are going to come into collision with one another. And, and so how do we reconcile personal freedoms? How do we reconcile the idea of personal freedom with, uh, with a religion or with a belief system? And so as I've been doing each week, I'm going to lay out exactly where I'm going to go because I want to try and be as clear as I can. So this morning I'm going to seek to do three things. The first one is this. I'm going to define where we are in this current cultural moment and how we got here. So in other words, I'm just going to try and kind of clarify this issue a little bit. Second thing is I'm going to answer, uh, ask and answer, what is the problem with where we're at? And then lastly, I'm going to ask and answer the question, what is true freedom? So let's start with the first, uh, the first point. Where are we and how did we get here? So again, this is going to be uh, extremely nerdy. Some of you not going to like it. Some of you going to like it. Uh, the dawn of the Enlightenment uh, is when we started to move into this idea where we thought that, uh, you know, truth could be ascertained through knowledge. And as we came into the Enlightenment, what started to happen was we had philosophers who started to uh, discard any kind of authoritarian or, or totalitarian thought. We talked a lot about this last week. Uh, for example, Rene Descartes, you've probably heard of him. He was an 18th century philosopher. He's famous for saying, cogito ergo sum, which is Latin for, I think, therefore, I am. Right? So the self is at the center. Well, after him came another philosopher named Immanuel Kant. And he had this idea, and he kind of built on what Descartes was saying, that an enlightened human being was one who trusts in his or her power of thinking rather than any authority or tradition. So a fully enlightened human being was one who trusted in his or her authority to make decisions, to make moral decisions, to make religious decisions, to make spiritual decisions, to make decisions for their family, and didn't allow any outside thought or regime or totalitarian ideas to impinge or infringe, rather, on their ability to live. That's what a fully uh, a self-fulfilled or self-actualized person was like. So any authority that sought to impose itself on you we sought to reject. 
We were, and we, the, the idea that Kant was trying to get across was that we have to untether ourselves from these ideas, from these institutions, from these policies that seek to control us. And so as a result, today, we understand that freedom is uh, true personal autonomous freedom is our ability to determine for ourselves our own moral standards. And, and if you really start to unpack this and think about it in terms of our current cultural climate, this is really what it means to be fully human, that it's necessary. And so kind of functionally, in terms of a definition for this morning, we define personal freedom as a life without restraints. And while for guys like Descartes and Kant, they saw this as a valuable thing, we have elevated it to an ultimate good. Like it's become the cultural mantra by which we all live. So as I've already said, this defines so much of our reality. It starts to shape our culture. We're living in the wake of what guys like Descartes and Kant taught. We're experiencing the fruit of their teaching. And so if you just start to take a quick cursory look at our current cultural landscape, you'll see that this is the reality. I mean, just think about the way that economics is starting to form, like, uh, like consumer economics. Uh, so now what we have are things like Airbnb, Uber, Amazon, in cities that are bigger than Victoria. You have uh, Turo Rent, right? Where you can, it's like Airbnb for car rentals. And you're starting to see this shift economically whereby who has the freedom, who has the choice, the consumer, right? We kind of cut out the middleman, so to speak, and we go direct to consumer. Why? Because we think that personal freedom is important. Uh, this has shaped much of our social reality. Now, here's where I'm going to step on a lot of toes. I'm sorry. But we see this, uh, you know, in our current cultural climate with regards to a bunch of social issues. So in 1973, in the United States, there was a very significant uh, Supreme Court uh, decision known as Roe v. Wade. And in 1973, the United States Supreme Court determined that it was the constitutional right for a woman to have the liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. And what was at the heart of that decision? Personal freedom, personal autonomy. In the last several uh, years, many countries, including our own, has, have come around and, and essentially redefined what marriage is. Uh, for most of the known uh, human history, marriage was defined as being a relationship or a covenant or a commitment between one man and w one woman. And now it's not. It's something other than that. And what was at the heart of that decision? personal freedom, choice. Uh, most recently, and, and again, I, I realize these are all hot button topics that I probably need to spend way more time unpacking than I am going to this morning. But as a culture, we've gone so far as to say that even gender is now up for grabs. You can determine what gender you are. And so now we, we actually have, and, and I don't know what to say about it, but we have families who have young children as young as two, three years old where, where they are allowing their children to dictate the, the gender that they want to be. They get to decide. What's at the center of that? Personal autonomy, freedom. Where we've gotten to this place where, where we've actually allowed autonomy 
to speak louder than biology because it's become our highest cultural value. And so because of this postmodern thought, again, philosophers like Kant and Descartes, our culture has embraced this idea that we are to let people do whatever they want as long as they aren't hurting anyone. It's become the thing that drives all decision-making for the personal, uh, for the individual, rather, in our culture. Now, now I realize that, you know, that's painting a, in really broad strokes in terms of our current cultural moment. But, but I think it adequately unpacks the reality that we face, whereby we have decided that we are at the center and whatever we want is what we should be able to do. And what we've added as far as a limiting, limiting principle goes to personal freedom is this concept of harm. So you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm anyone else. So let me move into point number two, which is what is the problem with that? Because on a cursory level, it actually makes a lot of sense. We live in a you know, post-Christendom where Christianity no longer uh, sets the moral standard for the day. We live in a secular society where people are free to choose their religion, choose their worldview, choose their way of life, choose their gender, choose their, uh, you know, who they want to marry, how long they want to marry, if they want to marry, all these, choose whether they want to have children, choice is at the center. So it seems like it stands to reason then that the, the, the idea that we can do whatever we want as long as we're not harming everyone makes a lot of sense. Like it seems like a good principle to impute onto a culture in order for us all to get along. Like it seems like a good way to, to help us all live together and coexist while still maintaining our personal freedoms. But there are a lot of problems with it, like a lot. Now, now this is where I wish I had a lot of more time to unpack uh, some of my thoughts but I don't. Unfortunately, I'm, this morning, I'm only going to have time to unpack one, what I would describe as a glaring issue. And I, and I chose this one because I think it's the most, uh, the most relevant to, to our topic this morning and to where I want to go this morning. So again, I want you to understand exactly how this is working. So we have freedom as the, the, the main operating principle, but we've applied harm as a limiting principle to the freedom. So you are free to do whatever you want, but you're not free to do whatever you want because we have to apply some kind of limiting principle in order for us all to coexist. And so the limiting principle, we don't want to, we don't want to make it religion. We don't want to make it, you know, Christianity or some other, you know, Islam or some other world religion. And we're a secular society. So here's what we're going to apply as a limiting principle, harm. That's the only thing that is going to limit your personal freedom. So it begs some interesting questions. Namely, what happens when two people's personal freedoms come in conflict with one another? Now, you don't have to look very far to find real-time examples of this. Like, they're, they're all over the place. I, I picked one because it was one that I found interesting, and I get to write the sermons. So, a couple of years ago, this is a, an example out of the United States, but a couple of years ago in the state of Colorado, uh, there was a, a, a man who owned a, a bakery. He's a Christian baker. He's a follower of Jesus who owned a bakery, and he baked all kinds of stuff, not just wedding cakes, but he baked all kinds of things. Uh, he was willing to serve anybody in his store, doesn't matter what race they are, doesn't matter what religion they are, doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. However, he held a conviction, a long-held conviction, uh, that uh, marriage was defined by being between, uh, between a man and a woman. 
And a couple, uh, two men who were getting married came into his store. Now, just to be clear, let me just make sure that this is, uh, you know, you know, I want to kind of paint a full picture of what was taking place. These were regular consumers in his store. They came in all the time. He served them all the time. He, whenever they wanted, whatever it was that he was baking or producing. But they came in and they specifically asked him to bake a wedding cake. So they have a personal freedom. And their personal freedom is now coming into collision with the baker's personal freedom. Because the baker said, well, this, this kind of infringes on my moral and religious conscience. I mean, I can serve you in any other way. I just, in, in good conscience, can't use my artistry, my skill, to celebrate something that, that I don't want to celebrate. And, and he was clear. There's all kinds of cakes this particular baker wouldn't make. He wouldn't have made, you know, in, his, in the interviews I saw of him and the articles I read, he wouldn't have made uh, anti-American cakes. He wouldn't have made pro, you know, Nazi or white supremacy cakes. There's all kinds of cakes he wouldn't have made because they would have gone against his personal freedom. So, so you can see the problem. Freedom, so long as you don't harm anybody, doesn't really work. So what ended up happening, fast forward, is this, uh, the couple sued the baker. The case went to the Supreme Court of the United States, and the United States Supreme Court ruled that he was within his rights to say no. And there's a whole bunch of other things tied up into that that I don't want to get into this morning. But this man was tarred and feathered as, as a bigot, a homophobic, uh, all sorts of things, all because it was perceived, and this is important, that his personal freedom, his, his right to express his personal freedom, caused harm. It caused harm to the same-sex couple. And let me just be clear, it probably did. It probably did cause harm to them. It probably did, it was probably very uncomfortable for them and awkward for them and uh, maybe even sad and, and, and likely made them feel outside or marginalized. And I appreciate that. In the same way that had he been forced to bake the cake, he would have felt the same thing. So this example raises some really good questions, doesn't it? What do we do when two people's personal freedoms, their, their ability to express personal freedoms come in conflict with one another? Should, should a, here's a good example. Should a liberal, somebody who writes speeches for a liberal political party be forced to write speeches for a conservative government? Should, um, a teacher be forced to teach something that goes against their conscience? Should a pastor be forced to preach certain things and not preach other things because of the potential harm that they might cause? So you can see that there's an inherent flaw, a logical flaw in harm being the principle that gets to limit a person's freedom. So what's the problem? Well, here's, here's the problem. Who gets to define what harm is? See, because loaded into the question, loaded into the principle that a person is allowed to you know, do whatever they want as long as they don't harm anyone is the presupposition or the assumption that harm, the definition of harm, is self-evident. That we all agree what harm is. The problem is that's not the case. See, there's no actual, in, in our current cultural moment, there's no actual way in which harm has been totalitarianly de defined. 
So, so we all kind of don't have a, a firm grasp on what this idea of harm is. And here's the ironic thing. If we did have a way in which to define harm that we all subscribe to, according to Kant, according to Descartes, according to the current cultural moment that we're living in, we wouldn't actually be free because we would have to submit to an idea of what harm is, which would then limit our personal freedom. So you see that this isn't actually a tenable idea. It's not tenable to live in a society where everyone is free to do what they want as long as they don't harm anyone. So, so what we have to do as a society is we have to acknowledge that there is indeed some overarching narrative that defines for us the way in which people are supposed to live. If you will, there's a pseudo-religion that governs our morals, it governs our actions. It could be political, it could be religious, it could be anti-religious. But on some level, every single one of us subscribes to a narrative that drives all of our decisions. But here's the problem. All the imperatives of those ideas will collide with someone else. So it's important for us to see that true freedom, the way that our society has pursued it, is actually a myth. It doesn't exist. None of us are actually free. On some level, we are all driven by a set of beliefs that we operate by. Again, it could be a religious set of beliefs. It could be a political set of beliefs. It could be uh, you know, a social set of beliefs. But there's something that drives us. And so long as that idea of harm is not clearly defined, none of us will be able to live as free people because we will constantly be harming one another. And the second we define what harm is, we've instantly become unfree by our own definition. It's an untenable position to hold, and it's the reason why it doesn't actually work in the context of our culture. So then here's an interesting question for us to ask. What is true freedom? So philosophers have made a distinction between what they call positive and negative freedom. So negative freedom is freedom from something. It's, the, it's refusing any barriers or constraints on our choices, whereas positive freedom is freedom for something, where you use your freedom to live in a particular way. So our modern I culture's idea of freedom is negative freedom. We, we, we define freedom as you know, uh, not being limited in any way. But as we've already said, that's inadequate. It comes short, comes up short. It comes up short on an intellectual level because as we've already said, we all have a narrative that we subscribe to that, that drives our, our, our freedom and our choices and we don't all subscribe to the same narrative. So therefore, logically, it just doesn't make sense that we're all free and we're not driven by something. We're all driven by something. But it also comes up short at an experiential level. I want you just to think about this with me for a second. Every single one of us places limitations on ourselves. And these limitations don't actually limit our ability to be human. Instead, these limitations allow us to flourish and become the best versions of ourselves. Think about, for example, a professional athlete. In order to become a professional athlete or an elite athlete, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to place limits on yourself. You're going to have to get up early. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to say no to certain types of food, certain types of activities in order to be fruitful in your endeavor. What if you want to be successful at work? What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to work hard, which means what? Saying no to certain things. What if you want to have a good marriage? You're going to have to say no to certain things. You have to limit yourself from certain things so you can focus on your marriage. What if you want to uh, you know, learn how to play the guitar? 
You're going to have to discipline yourself. What if you want to lose weight? You have to discipline yourself. And so we are constantly placing limitations on ourselves. And those limitations don't actually take away our freedom. They liberate us to become more free. So disciplines and constraints, they don't limit our ability to become human. In fact, when we find the the right disciplines and the right constraints, and they fit within the reality of our nature and our capacities, here's here's what happens. We actually flourish in a more real way. We're, We're more liberated to become more human. Think about this. Here's a helpful example, a fish. If we were to say we're going to place no restraints on a fish, I want to have a pet fish and I want it to sleep in bed with me at night, but not in a bowl. I want it to sleep with me like my dog sleeps with me. How's that going to go for the fish? Not well. We're going to take the fish for a walk out to the dog park. How's it going to go? It's not going to go very well. Why? Because a fish needs certain limitations placed on it in order for it to survive in order for it to breathe, in order for it to live, in in order for it to fully flourish as a fish fully flourishes. And so we, we have to get rid of this notion that in order to be truly free, we have to be free from all restraints and limitations. It's not true. What we need to do is we need to find the right limitations, the right restraints. And when we find the right restraints and the, and the right limitations, For us, what happens? We flourish. Tim Keller says this, freedom then is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it's the finding of the right ones. Those that fit our nature and liberate us. And so the question really isn't, are we free or aren't we free? The question is, what are we allowing to limit our freedoms? What limitations have we placed on, on ourselves? Another way of wording this is, what have we given ourselves to? What, what have we allowed to determine our lives? Where we go, what we do, what we don't do, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we operate within our home, within our community, within our workplace, what drives our moral Uh, faculties and thoughts? How did we define morality? How did we get to where we got in terms of our definition of morality? And here's what I've been saying this entire series is for the most part, most of us haven't thought of these things. We're, We're just running the gauntlet of what is the North American life. We're paying our mortgage. We're trying to make sure our kids don't die. Trying to make sure the bills are paid and we don't get fired. And then all this other stuff is like an afterthought. We have these nefarious beliefs about God. We have these nefarious beliefs about morality. We have these nefarious beliefs about who we are, how we are to operate within the world, how we relate to God. Even if you've been in the church for a long time, you might just be here because your parents brought you or you're here because your spouse brought you and you, you might be here just because this is what you've always done. You just do the church thing, but, but it doesn't really inform your life. You've never really given thought or credence to what you're allowing to limit your uh, abilities to be completely free, what constraints you're allowing into your life so that you can be liberated in the most fullest sense of what it means to be human. This quote was on the screen, or a portion of it was on the screen uh, in the video before, but C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. In other words, there's limitations. 
Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn or the food that our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. Hear what Lewis is saying. There's a limitation. There's a limitation, but it's not a bad limitation. It's a good limitation. It's a limitation that will actually liberate you. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering with religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. So Lewis's contention is that if the Christian story is true, if it's true that we were made by God, then just as a fish thrives when it's limited by water, when a human being gives himself and fully embraces God for who he is, we become fully alive. God is the ultimate limiting principle for the human being. Now, Jesus said something very similar. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew 16. We're going to read the Bible. Got to read the Bible. Matthew chapter 16, these verses were on the screen right before I got up to speak, and they should be on the screen behind me again. Jesus says this in a conversation with his own followers as he's making a prediction about his death, notice what he says here, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. What is that? That's a limiting principle. It's a pretty significant one, isn't it? Pretty countercultural narrative, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple is free to do whatever they want as long as they don't harm anyone. He says the opposite. He says, if you want to truly know what it means to be my disciple, which means be my follower, and without getting too technical here, what he's talking about is come into a relationship with Jesus, which as we'll talk about in just a minute, means you come to this place where you are reconciled back to God. In other words, become fully human. If you want to become fully human, if you want to experience what it truly means to return back to the way God intended you to be, to, to, to fully uh, be human, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross. There needs to be a death to self. And here he, he's not speaking to just people that don't know Jesus. He's talking to all of us. He's saying there's this ongoing death to self that has to happen. There's this ongoing application of limits that need to be placed on you in order to, for you to be fully human and fully know who he is. And then look at what he says next. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is if you will allow yourself to experience limitations, the limitation of submitting and humbling yourself to following God, to coming back to God, Here's what you get to experience. You get to experience ultimate liberation. That the only way to be fully human is to limit yourself and come to God. Now, some of us would hear this, and our immediate thought is this sounds oppressive. This sounds over-limiting. To which I would respond, it's not oppressive, but it is limiting but it's limiting in the most loving way. Many, many would say, well, what about all the commands that God requires of us? To which I would respond, yes, God does require things of us, but he requires things of us in the same way a parent requires things of their children. 
We have a lot of kids in here, which means we have a lot of parents in here. Would it be good parenting advice to say to your kids, I know you're four, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm anyone. I have four kids. Sometimes I think that is the parenting advice we've given them. And they harm each other a lot. It would be unloving. Wouldn't it? And so is it unloving of God to require that we have limitations placed on ourselves and these ultimate limitations that we humble ourselves and come to him? Of course not. Uh, Another helpful way to think about this is through the lens of, of a love relationship. One author wrote this about love. You will never know the freedom of love unless you limit your choices in significant ways. And all the married people said amen. There is no greater feeling of liberation than to feel and to be loved. This liberation frees you from having to face the world alone with only your own ingenuity and resources. Love is perhaps the most liberating thing, but the minute you get into a love relationship and the deeper and the more intimate and the more wonderful it gets, the more you also have to give up your independence. So so just think about this with me for a second, because I think this is a really helpful analogy for for what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the way to liberation is is limitation, it's self-denial. Think about the marriage relationship. What happens when two people get married, right? Limitations. I don't remember the last time I watched a movie where people died. I watch a lot of chick flicks. Why? Because I'm married and I love my wife. The time you go to bed, I'm no longer free to go wherever I want, whenever I want. Why? Because I place limitations on myself so that I can love my spouse well. And she does the same for me. And some of them are cursory and and logistical, but some of them are real. What happens if my wife gets sick? What happens if she, uh, you know, ends up in a wheelchair? What happens if she has some kind of disability? What happens if I do? I limit my freedoms for the sake of the relationship. Interestingly enough, uh, the, the Christian story, when it talks about marriage, it actually talks about the marriage relationship as two people becoming one. That there's no longer two people, but there's now one new person. And, and we were talking about this at dudes night on Friday night, but often when I do weddings, I talk about not just being at a wedding, but actually two funerals, right? Because it's now two people dying and a new person emerging, right? So in the case of me and Kelly, it's no longer Chris and Kelly, it's Crelly. We're one, <laughs> But, but this is helpful because it gives us this picture of, of how by limiting ourselves, by putting ourselves to death, we actually experience a more full liberation. Think about the marriages that aren't healthy, that aren't doing well, that haven't made it. I don't want to oversimplify, but what's at the root An unwillingness to limit. An unwillingness to limit self. Why do you have strife in your marriage right now? Because I don't know if you can. Yeah. Because you make it all about you. And I'm not trying to oversimplify. But there's a principle here. That true freedom actually comes from limitation. True liberation actually comes from limiting oneself. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying the only way to truly be free, the only way to truly experience 
what it means to be fully human is to limit oneself and humble oneself and come to him. And it's in finding him that you are finally liberated. Well-known Christian missionary Jim Elliott is noted for saying this, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. In other words, by embracing ultimate limitation, we get to experience ultimate liberation. I need to close. I'll invite the band to come up. And I realize, like, I feel like I'm leaving you guys short here. I have left a lot on the table. But I want to close with an idea. I want you to imagine for a second that the Christian story isn't true. Okay, we presuppose here that the Christian story is true. I want you just to imagine for a minute that it isn't true. Maybe that's not hard for you. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't believe it's true. Okay, good, then play along. What if what every other religion, whether it's the secular religion, whether it's you know, a known religion, whether it's just the spiritual but not religious religion, what if they were true? The Christian religion wasn't true, but they were true. And, and functionally at the core of what they teach the means by which you experience the fulfillment of what it truly means to be human is by trying really hard. You just try really hard to live a good life. You just try really hard to do good things. You just try really hard to help old ladies cross the street. If you're pseudo-religious, you pray a little bit. You do some praying. You know, you show up to church once in a while. You, you just do, it's, you bear the weight and the responsibility of having to liberate yourself and, and experience true human fulfillment. It's up to you. Well, think about this just for a second. Isn't that oppressive? I mean, imagine there is a God for a second and, and the weight of responsibility for personal fulfillment, for personal liberation, it, was, it rested on your shoulders. It was, it was up to you. Isn't that oppressive? You've got a God up in the sky somewhere and he's saying to you, you need to limit yourself. You need to try harder. You need to work more. You need to be more religious. You need to be a better person. That doesn't sound like fulfillment. That doesn't sound loving at all. the beautiful reality of what the Christian gospel teaches, the beautiful reality of what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 16, isn't that we have to just limit ourselves. Yes, Jesus does call us to limit ourselves, but Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to deny themselves and take up their cross is nested in this bigger section of scripture where Jesus is actually explaining to the disciples that he's going to go to the cross that he's going to give up his life. Now, now think about this with me for a second. Jesus is God. He's the creator of the cosmos. He's the alpha, the omega. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the, the uncaused first cause of the universe. He's beyond our ability to comprehend. 
And here we have a picture of that God entering into human flesh, entering into our world. We talked about this last week, but he came in humility as a baby. He had to have his diaper changed. He had to be fed. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to figure all this stuff out. He was functionally a homeless Galilean peasant. And, and here, here, what do we see? We see that this God is going to do what? Lay down his life. I mean, just think about this with me for a second. The God of the universe enters into human form and then allows himself to be humiliated, tortured, and hung on a cross. That's limitation. That's a limit that has been placed on Jesus. That is the ultimate limitation. Why? so that we could be reconciled to God. So that we could be in relationship with God. So that we could know the God of the universe. So that we could be restored to the God who made you, knows you, and loves you. So that we could experience the fullness of what it means to be human. And there's this thing that happens when you believe everything I just said. Like, and not believe it in your mind, but when your heart is gripped by it. The idea of self-denial to that God, not the one up in heaven who's saying, do things for me, but to the one who entered into the mess and into the brokenness and didn't say, you need to bend yourself to me, but I will bend to you. When you are gripped by that reality, it's easy to give yourself over to him. You want to because you're in love. You're in love. And so Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting us to experience the fullness of humanity by coming to him. So let me close with our question why can't I live how I want to if I don't harm anyone? Well, first, because it's impossible. It cannot be done. But here's the second reason. Because you were made for so much more. You were made for so much more. This is insufficient for what God would have for you if you would come to him. We're going to respond. And interestingly enough, we, we respond in the same way each week we are going to sing a song to Jesus. We're going, to, uh, we're going to give, as Michelle talked about. There's jars at the front. You can give out in the lobby. If you're new, just visiting, please feel no obligation to give. And we're going to take communion together. We take communion every Sunday. There'll be two stations up here at the front. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the people will be holding a cracker, which represents the broken body of Jesus, and the other person will be holding uh, wine or juice, whichever you would prefer. You just take the cracker and dip it in the wine or the juice, and it's a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. But, but here's what I, I want you to see. That singing, that giving, these are actually limits 
We're going to sing to God because of his goodness, because of the limits that he placed on himself. We're going to give to Jesus. And the, re- the reason we give is it's because it's our way of saying, God, like, we, we don't own anything. You own everything. And we actually believe that if we live in light of that reality, that we will experience more fully what it means to be human if we don't hold on to our money tightly, but rather recognize that it's yours and not ours. And then we have the ultimate picture of the limitation that Jesus placed on himself. But don't miss the picture that is communion. Because when you come down, yes, you're acknowledging that Jesus took on the ultimate limit that we could ultimately be free. He went to the cross that we could experience freedom and forgiveness of sin. But here's what you're saying. When you take the cracker that's been dipped in the wine or the juice and you take it in, You're saying, I receive, I receive this for me. I am willing to take all of you in and limit myself for you. It's a beautiful picture of us coming and humbling ourselves and giving ourselves over to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm I'm just not there. I'm not ready to say that. Then there's no rush. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you have to. There's lots of people here that are not going to take communion this morning. Stay in your seat, sing. But maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day whereby I've heard enough. I've heard enough about Jesus. And today I want to give myself wholly to him because he gave himself wholly to me. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to not just leave us, but that you entered into our brokenness. That you humbled yourself, made yourself nothing, became a servant. You became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that, Lord, our, our pathway back to you is through the cross. Our pathway back to what it really means to be human. Our pathway for everything that we're looking for is actually, it culminates in you. And so whether for us this is new or whether we've been here for a long time, many times, we, we need to come back to you. We need to come back to you to find freedom, to find liberation, to admit that you are better than anything else. So Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,